This is Adapting, the future of Jewish education, powered by the Jewish Education Project and Jewish Live. I'm David Breifman. Hello, everybody, and hello to my guest today, Yoni Coleman, and we're really glad to be here having a conversation about Jewish education in this coronavirus era, and we're as much interested in talking about what's happening today as how we're going to project what might be happening in the future for Jewish education. And I'm really glad to have with me today colleague and friend Yoni Coleman, who I'm going to get to introduce himself for a bit in a second, and then we'll have a conversation and see where it takes us. Over to you, Yoni. Tell us a bit about yourself. Hi, David. Great to be here in this magic crystal ball, projecting the world post the pandemic. That's that's uh, what an honor, what an honor to uh, be a modern day prophet with you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm Yoni. I, I mean, what can I share? I have a wife, four kids, and a mortgage. <laughs> that's how I think about things these days. Um, I like to I like to not describe what I do as a job um, because I don't view it as a job. Uh, I like to say I have fun and get paid. Um, I oversee leadership development for uh, NCSY. Um, And that means before coronavirus, I got to travel around uh, Canada, US, Israel, and listen and learn and uh, inspire the thriving of our people on the ground. Um, Meaning overseeing training and um, and learning about how to do our work collectively better. Great. And for those people who don't know about NCSY, tell us a bit about the organization. Sure. NCSY is the uh, youth movement of the Orthodox Union. So it's for teens affiliated or not affiliated all across U.S., Canada, Israel, a little bit in Chile as well, and Argentina. And it's uh, experiential Jewish education through Shabbatonim and summer programs and structured learning and social events. Great. So let's uh, let's get right into the heart of things and ask you to try and describe for our audience, what do you see as the purpose of Jewish education? Um, what do you see as the desired outcomes? What are you trying to achieve in all of the work or the not so much work that you've described before? Um, where do you see it all he- heading up? Sure. I mean, it's... Uh... <laughs> It's funny because uh, you think, you know, in, in Jewish education, when you, you, when you, there's this tendency, um, I'll speak for myself, to fall into a, um, into a role. You know, I'm a Jewish educator, so I do A, B, C, D as a Jewish educator. I thought I was a Jewish educator until I had to homeschool my kids because of coronavirus. And then I realized, no, no, I'm not, never mind, maybe Jewish, but certainly not, edu- certainly not educator. I mean, like, I'm not sure how, um, how to accurately define it. I, I kind of, I'll show you how I think about it, okay? Somewhere between indoctrin, indoctr, indoctrination and education, maybe somewhere between spoon feeding or learning how to feed yourself, there's this space where we're hoping to teach people how to be inspired in a sense of something more. I suppose in essence, it's the path towards hope. And I'm not trying to be fluffy around it. Um, Education could be thought of um, academically, or it could be thought of perhaps inspirationally. And somewhere in between that space is where I relate to Jewish education. If it's just a course of study, it's insufficient. If it just informs our life without some type of 
study, it's insufficient, which is why it's in a gray space with tremendous spectrum in the middle. So what makes it Jewish? What makes what you've described a, a Jewish enterprise? That's a good question. I'm really fascinated by the concept of culture and microculture. So the macro and the microculture. So like in any organization, you can have like your core values, your mission statement, what the organization stands for. And then if you were to go and travel department by department, you'll find deviancies or applications. Um, put it in a cultural perspective. So if you walk one block in Brooklyn, it looks a certain way. And then on the next block, it looks another way. Um, there's the way that, that people manifest in their physical space does not look the same. Just because you're in New York or you're in Toronto or you're in England, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that that informs in, you know, I'm not speaking, trying to speak, you know, in a, it's not, it's not a complex thing. There's differences depending where you go in, in the world. So to say Jewish, to, to, to describe Jewish culture, um, I always worry about the homogenous implications of that there's Jewish, you know, there's, there's, there's a Jewish culture. The reality of Jewish culture, if you just zoom out, is that it's spectrum, it's a chillant. There's many different types of cultures. So I can't, I can, I can share with you from my vantage point, the types of cultures that I get to learn from and interact with. But um, I suppose um, our own Jewish narrative is there's 12 tribes and there's differences in both personality and experiences in all those tribes. I mean, that's, that's Jewish culture. So to say, to sum it up and say Jewish culture is chillant might be appropriate. It might be a hodgepodge of many different things, taking information and values, uh, both from um, classic, you know, from our tradition uh, and from the outside world. There's a, there's a mix. Okay. So I'm going to push you a bit here because, A, because I know a bit more about what you do and I know a bit about NCSY. And in some ways, NCSY has a really interesting population that it tries to um, try to engage with. Um, in many, many of the families that NCSY engage with do come from what we might traditionally label as modern Orthodox Jewish families or families that follow a um, some sort of Jewish practice according to Orthodox tradition. And it also has a huge amount of work, which it does uh, specifically aimed at children, youth who do not have that exposure, who might classically be defined as secular kids, often who are found by NCSY in their, in public school programs that you run. So I want to get specific about that public school population of, let's say, sure. nominally Jewish kids who are in otherwise in any Pew study might be labeled as just Jewish or even secular. Um, what's the outcome? So, you have an exposure with those kids or you want to be interacting with those kids and educate them. What's the end game for those particular kids? How do you want them to come out of the end of the experience thinking, feeling, or knowing differently um, after NCSY or after Yoni has interacted with them? So, you know, Yoni doesn't interact with any of the kids in the way that Yoni used to. <laughs> so like I work in uh, with our staff directly. Um, my interaction with, I, I kind of a, like Jane, uh, maybe that's an inappropriate, you know, but Jane Goodall, you know, in observing uh, chimpanzee culture, if you will, placed herself in the midst of <laughs> the, chimp, the poor analogy because <laughs> our teens are not chimpanzees. Um, um, 
you have to immerse yourself in the culture of the place that you're in. A team in Palo Alto, um, California, is has different hopes, dreams, aspirations, and challenges than a team in Milwaukee. It, and that's not, I mean, I'm not speaking anything, not like that's just obvious. But when we zoom out and we speak about in terms of Jewish education, organization, and culture, I really think we miss things in the average. I don't think the answer is, um, one can authentically answer, well, we want X, Y, and Z globally um, without first servicing what we want locally. And that is informed by the culture of the place. Teens in Palo Alto, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated with them because they're the schools that there's, um, it's Palo Alto's, you know, uh, all the high tech companies are around there. And the public school teens there are um, is, is the large Israeli population. You're deemed from Israel. And these kids that I met in our Jewish culture clubs for public school kids were Israeli. Uh, they were entrepreneurial. They were all the stereotypes um, that you would, um, you know, that are often often connected to uh, what makes, you know, startup nation. Like these are startup nations kids who know who are Israeli and they know everything and they're forward and they want to accomplish lots and lack nothing in their lives because there's actually a fair amount of affluence in those communities. So what is education for that kid is a really important question. Whereas if you're in Cleveland, Ohio, um, and it's not as affluent and they're not Israeli, what helps those public school kids thrive is a totally different question. So I'm not trying to dodge the answer. What I'm trying to highlight for us is when we think about things at a, at a, on the average or up above, I just, I just feel that, um, and I've, I've experienced is um, without nurturing the pod and the, the pod culture, the culture of the place, without giving that time to understand what is needed locally, you can't, you can't apply a global solution. So, you know, NCSY's um, um, mission statement to connect, inspire, and empower, and empower, therefore, which is what we want for kids to be as engaged as Jewishly as they can for where they are, looks different where you go. I hope I've done justice you have. <laughs> to, your, to, your, to, to your question. I just don't uh, think we could ever know. And I'm, I'm, the crystal ball, okay, I wish we had a crystal ball, but no one has, no one has the crystal ball. I do, I have seen that when our educators are authentically connected to their brand of Judaism, that's the most sticky. And there's, there's, there's many different brands of Judaism. Yeah. I guess I'm trying to also make the connection between like that impressive bookshelf behind you and the kids that you're speaking about. Um, and at what point does the, does the corpus of Jewish knowledge and content <laughs> Yeah, the, the the art scroll, the art scroll uh, Talmud I have. Literally, um, at what point does that become part of the equation as well? And I think it's important because um, we, we're in this enterprise which is going over you know generations and millennia. Um, and what role do we play in all of that? And acknowledging that not all of our kids are going to have access to the same canon for whatever reason um, that they're able to or unable to. And here you serve as a bit of a bridge. Um, if for many people, and the way I, the, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you is, is because I think your your understanding of who the populations are and their different needs. Um, also, you have in the background, you have a tremendous amount of wisdom and insight which comes from another place, and some way you form a bridge um, between trying to bring that that collective wisdom, values, past tradition to the kids of today, um, and they're not always synergistic. 
Um, and I think that's part of the exploration today is, and one of the challenges is how do we make sure that we're, we, we are forming these connections uh, moving forward. And that's precisely the challenge between indoctrination and, and inspiration. You know, so if I wanted to, if I'm really into, I don't know, math, and I wanted to inspire, my mission was to inspire kids to become mathematicians. So it, it, would, it would follow logically that I should know a little bit about addition and subtraction um, if I want to hope to inspire kids. And it would also stand to follow if I really want to, you know, really get them go as far as they possibly can, then I probably should have some expertise in more advanced mathematics. So it just, we, we don't, you know, the cup, the cup runneth over, like as full as our cups are, I think better sets us up to um, share what we have. Uh, there's this, there's this, there's this great criticism um, um, that exists. The, the, the mushal is the, the parable is um, they, they go to one town, the rabbi, the rabbi goes to one town and teaches those that are not erudite. They're not, they're not knowledgeable in Judaism. The rabbi teaches them the Aleph base. And then um, uh, the, the teaches the town in the local synagogue, the, the, the Aleph base, the Hebrew alphabet. So everybody learns the Aleph base and then the rabbi leaves. And now you have a, a city full of people that know the Aleph base. And what the, the first thing they do is they go down um, to the next city over and they start teaching Aleph base because they have something and they want to, and they, they want to teach it, you know, and you, what are you doing? Oh, I'm a Jewish, I'm a Jewish educator. Like you're, you're, you're missing um, without, I think we have a duty, right. To be erudite, to be the people of the book, to know as much as we can about the mountain of knowledge that exists in our very rich history um, so that we have all the tools available to us, but not just in knowledge. I mean, we're talking about knowledge around the bush, but I don't, I don't think of it that way. It's not just knowledge, it's experience. Okay, right now, my kids are on Zoom all day. Our schools had to pivot, and now we're in distance learning. So I see my kids on Zoom all day, okay? They're learning, but that's really entitled. It's not an experience at all. It's, it's just not. Like, my kid's bored. He's 10 years old. He'd rather be playing Minecraft. Like, it's not... It's not the right space. And that's where experience is really important. So you can have as much, you can have knowledge from the dawn of history to today, but if you can't um, deliver that knowledge in a way that is accessible and, the, and that is local, then I don't know how it ever feels applicable. So you've used this word twice. I want to come back to it because I think it's a word that's often fascinated me um, in my educational journey as well. And that's the word indoctrination. Um, yeah. So, I, I, look, I don't want to be flipping about this, right? But in your ideal world, right, if you didn't have to worry about ethics, like would your preferred methodology be to indoctrinate all of these kids into what they ought to know? Or are you saying that indoctrination per se in and of itself is, is not really where you'd like to be at? If you didn't have to worry about ethics, right. Um, um, I, I, have you ever questioned the nature of your reality? Like you're getting all Westworld, you know, what is existence on us? Uh, let's not go there because then we'll really get lost inside of our own mirror to crystal balls. If, if we think we have something worth sharing, then we have to do it justice and share it. But we can't encroach on the autonomy of, of the other. It's like, it's like, it's like what we believe 
um, in in about God's reason, if you will. It's that the that the the, the mystical the mystical theory, like what what is God's reason for creating? If God needs a reason, what's God's reason for creating the world? And they they distill it down. The, the, God wanted to give, and having a world they, they talk about is the best way for God to give. What? What's the best thing God could give? It's not life. It's God. God Himself. The best thing God can give is God Him is God Himself. And what's the so like? Let, let's get out of the Kabbalah for a second. The best thing you can do for somebody is um, to give to somebody is show them and provide for them um, tools and pathways and architectures of how you can go and decide for yourself. If there's ever a question where that one has and the response is don't ask that question, then you know you've you're, you're going down the wrong. So. Um, indoctrination for me tends to feel like here's what you should do and don't ask me why and then education for me kind of feels like here's what here's what you can do and here's why and let's tear it apart and and that's all in that those volumes behind me that's all those 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 rabbis do they just argue with each other and to today the jewish people have carried on that 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 tradition you know well uh, what is uh, two jews three three opinions whatever it is right like that's 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 for some reason part of our nature is to pull things apart and analyze them from a number of different uh uh points of view right if that's if that's godly then that's okay maybe i don't know <laughs> all right so you've already spoken a bit about this but i want to come into it a bit deeper now is that what's changing now during this um this pandemic that we're facing. I think you've given a good um, illustration of what's taking place, at least for one of your children in your house at the moment. But I'm also interested in um, pushing the conversation further. Is there anything that we're learning now about education that you might think has implications beyond the pandemic? If we're to try and find ourselves on the other side, what are we actually either, either reinforcing for ourselves as good educational practices or raising up as question marks that, Mm, we should be thinking more seriously about this because these constraints are pushing us to think in a certain way. So I know in our few weeks into the pandemic, what are you, what are you thinking about as a Jewish educator? Oh, shoot. I missed the boat and I don't know how to use Zoom. I'm serious. Fundamentals. So like we could talk about like how to have engaging online learning and how to have experiences that bring the physical into the virtual and do, I don't know, make a challah together or a matzah. I, I, I've seen lots of great educators do really interesting things online and also offline that are experiential. But I keep on being drawn to this concept of essentials, okay? In Maslow's, Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs that describe human motivation, you cannot have somebody um, pursuing a multi-million dollar business when they're hungry. Your more basic needs are layered upon your more advanced needs for social connection and okay so that that is the trend I, I mean i'm not sure if i answer you're expecting i can show you what i'm seeing people are in a fundamental and, and and i also feel by the way just to label just to name it i feel that if we don't talk about this collectively we're doing ourselves a disservice we're not supposed to know how to do a pandemic we're it, okay it, it's just it's not something that we're supposed to be prepared for so um some days we might feel like we have it together. Some days we might feel like we don't have it together. It, it, the only trend I am seeing is um, people feeling like they missed the boat 
That's the biggest trend that I'm seeing, more than this innovative class and this great way of engaging. And you'll find examples from today to tomorrow, the basics. And we're still learning the, base myth, the basics of this temporary, you know, liminal space, to quote Johnny Ariel, right? This is, this is limited. It's not always going to be like this, you know, <laughs> we hope and intend. So um, we have to um, remind ourselves of some of the essential common bright spots, the best pieces of learning for remote engagement. Um, having a space that you can go to, retreat to, where you can focus. Some people don't, some people are, their kids are doing the remote learning I see on my kids' Zoom calls from the couch because they just don't have the space in their apartment to go have a whole room for an, for an office. These things are like basic and essential and the, are, are, we're always drawn towards what's big and what's flashy and um, what's new, what's exciting. And we're, we don't pay attention to the most basic things that we need. That's what sets us up for success. So your question again was, what are the best pieces of learning in this, this era? Take the time to get it right. I, I, I just keep on being drawn to that. This morning, my wife and I were, the, the school sent, you know, we've had a month of figuring out, now they, fought, they, they sent all the schedules, like they got to better organize. All schools are, are figuring out how to do this. So now we have like three schedules for three different kids, different Zoom calls and times, and we just felt overwhelmed. And we're like running around like, oh my gosh, we got to get this, we got to get that. No, 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 just the basics. So we just organized the bookshelf for the kids, put the books there. That's what we did. And my kids joined the Zoom call when they were ready. I can definitely relate. Yanni, um, listeners are interested in finding out what people are reading or drawn to. What's something on your uh, on your recommended reading list for Jewish educators or, or a YouTube clip or whatever it might be? If you're a Jewish educator, what's something that you would like everybody to have a look at these days? Okay. Chip and Dan Heath are really great authors. They have this book called Switch. Um, it's all about change management, but let's call it something else. It's all about how to cope in a world that is changing around you and you don't know where to begin and what to do. Great book. Really recommend, really recommended reading. I also recommend this book. Okay. Oh, wait. I don't know if your listeners can, can say, okay. Sapiens. Sapiens. By Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari. This was an airport pickup when I used to travel around the country. Um, it was on my get to this for a while. It's fascinating because what he describes is how our tendencies in our, in our evolution as a species got baked into us, um, both from, so from, a from, ev from, he cuts across all it's fascinating. Have you read it? It's a fascinating read right. from, from, from politics to culture, to economics, to history. It's like this really deep look at why we are the way we are. And I just, I really enjoyed it. Good, thank you. Um, one of the other questions I wanted to ask is because educators don't often have a chance to do this. Um, do you want to take a few seconds to honour an educator in your life that has made an impression on you or someone who has influenced you in your life? Oh, my goodness. Name them and why. describe why have that person been so influential for Yoni. There's a dramatic pause here, listeners. Yes. He's thinking. Because. 
because we tend as a species to always immediately recall the inverse of that. Okay. Like the, 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 the not great experiences. So what I was just pausing about I'm dramatic, was like, Oh my goodness. Like, look at that tendency. Like we always just, we're, we're not mucker tov. It's much harder for us to recognize the good, all the bad, all the problems, all what went wrong are really like, okay. That's the, the inverse of that just takes a second. Like, Oh yes. What was in terms of biggest impression? Cause biggest impression has two poles. Okay. So, but we're going to go on the positive. Um, it has to be my 12th grade, grade 12 Rebbe, who was my, my teacher of Hebrew studies, because he was like no teacher I'd ever had before. I didn't think of him as like my Rebbe. I thought of him as like my friend and like my, I could, I could speak to him without any veneer and expectation of, you know, did you, how were your studies going? Did you go to prayers? None of those structures that are, you would expect there to be present in a school were, were there. He cared about me as an individual. Um, and to, in deep, about my life in deep ways. Like he, he, he just got involved in all of our lives um, as students and demonstrated that he cared. And that continues to today to have the biggest impact. I don't remember what he taught me. He taught us, we have lots of great stuff. He was the first one to talk to, you can imagine a bunch of 12th grade boys in the yeshiva, what they want to talk about with a, the cool rabbi, okay? Like there were lots of great stuff we learned about. Um, I remember less of that and more that he, that he, that he cared. Um, and you can't, you can't, I can't name you a big way because it was a culmination of little things that he would do constantly to demonstrate that he cared. Um, that's the biggest impact of the educator. So if that's education, sign me up. Do you feel like naming the educator in the school, the yeshiva? Yeah. Um, he's now the director of relief resources, which is, um, operates in Canada and the U.S. It's a referral service for uh, a spectrum of mental health needs that operates in the Jewish community. So if you need to know where do I find a, um, a therapist which specializes in, in ABC, you can call them confidentially and they, they help guide you where you need to go. Um, his name is uh, Mati Rappaport, um, my 12th grade Rebbe. Great. Yeah. Yoni, it's been a delight catching up with you and learning about your insight into Jewish education. And one final question I want you to leave our audience with, and that is basically asking you, um, What's your message? What's your message of hope? Um, we're in this time of, um, I would say, crisis, and we don't really know the full extent of it. And for me, Jewish education, education in general, has always been about optimism, looking forward and trying to create a brighter future. So I'm asking all of the people that I talk to, what's your message of hope that you'd want to leave um, our audience with today? It, you know, there's so <laughs> I, I, who am I? I mean, I don't, you know, it's such an odd way to have a conversation, David, to be the one that always has to answer. I never get to engage you in it. So I hope we can continue this offline. Um, if possible, the message of hope is that I, I, at least I only can share one that I, that I try to practice. So it's going to come with a healthy dose of, and I'm failing at this miserably. Um, try to find a, a small way to give and 
let's leave that undefined. If it's gift to yourself, if it's gift to others, there's something powerful about giving, uh, which is helpful, I find, in these times. So whether that's self-care or whether that's caring for others, um, when we give, we create a better world. And when now that our worlds have become confined to our homes and the grocery store, uh, if we can find a way to give, we can draw on some of that strength to, uh, to carry us through the next phase of uh, Jewish education and reality post-corona. Yoni Coleman, thank you very much. On that note, it's a really fine way to finish up today. Thank you, everybody, and I look forward to seeing you all on the next installment. Bye. Bye.